If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Um, For the next three weeks, actually, we're going to be looking at chapters 9 and 10 of Luke. Um, And so if you're sitting there after we read this thinking, Joel, we just skipped over a bunch of stuff in our reading tonight, don't worry, we're going to get to it in the weeks ahead. Um, Tonight we're going to look at what it means to live a missional life or to live a sent life. Next week, we're going to look at the transfiguration, and the following week, we're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Begin reading chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Go to verse 10. On the return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place, where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, nor knapsack, no sandals, and greet greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborers deserve his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But wherever, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, 
Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that you would come and you would speak in power. That through your spirit, our minds would be opened. Our hearts would be opened. You would make them good soil to receive a good word that will bear much fruit. Lord, my words are death. Your words are life. Breathe life here. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, let your words remain and may they hit their mark. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. A lot has changed in the last 2,000 years, um, but the church's calling has not changed. Uh, The words Jesus said before his ascension, most of you know all All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That is still our calling. For some of us, that means that we need to go and preach the gospel in places where people have never heard. Um, And every Christian, I believe, needs to seriously consider this call. Don't always assume that's for others. I think every Christian yearly should ask the Lord, Lord, is this me? And we should all have the prayer of Isaiah that says, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, For those of you who who maybe are not called to the mission field, you are still called to go and share the gospel and to make disciples. And this might mean, you know, walking across the street and sharing the gospel with your neighbor or sharing the gospel with a co-worker. For some of you, it might mean something a little more radical, and it might mean moving. It might be moving to places like Woodlawn or to Inslee or to Fairfield or someplace like that and having an impact there. Whatever the Lord's calling on your life, you must obey and you need to continually ask for his leading. Don't just assume you're on the right path. Ask God's spirit, Lord, am I where you want me to be? Am I doing what you want me to do? What is your calling for my life? Because I know I need to fulfill this great calling to make disciples of all men. This is a serious and it is a joyful task. Uh, And let me just start by saying that if we actually took hold, if we actually understood and put to heart the things that we just read, I I honestly believe all of Birmingham would be changed, more than Birmingham. We have more people in this room than the disciples or the 72. We have more resources in this room than were available to them. What we lack is a urgency and a clear sense of purpose and calling. And we lack faith. You know, by and large, if you look at the American churches, um, they compensate for these things, for their lack of faith, their lack of urgency, and their lack of calling. They compensate for these things by, by greater facilities, very detailed vision statements. Technology. 
They compensate through a lot of different programs, a lot of different means, but really they lack power. They, they lack the ability to truly change a community. Now Luke 9 and Luke 10 stand in stark contrast to this. And beginning in Luke 9, there's a radical shift in Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, Jesus has been doing everything. He's been doing all of the teaching. He's been doing all of the healing. And the disciples have just kind of stood by waiting for him to usher in the kingdom of God at this point. But here, he actually sends them. He says, now you go. You go. And I cannot imagine how intimidating this would have been for these disciples. They're not a bunch of Billy Grahams. This is not something that comes natural to them. Some of them are fishermen, not the most eloquent people. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the IRS. How many of you know many charismatic IRS people out there? How many of you would like to talk, spend an extended time talking to someone who works from the IRS? It's no different. I mean, Matthew was used to when he entered a room, people would leave. A tax collector, they would often go to the docks and they would wait for the sailors to come in and they would enter the boats before the sailors got off the docks because they knew that once the sailors reached land, they were gone. They would never, ever be able to collect the money from them. And now Jesus tells people like Matthew, I want you to go and talk to people about this good news. What an intimidating call. How is he supposed to do that? None of these disciples have a lot going for them. And now they're given this enormous task. And, and Jesus, he seems to put restrictions on it. He says, not only is this task going to be great, but here's a lot of things you're not allowed to do, okay? He says, you're not allowed to bring anything with you. Cannot bring a staff, which means you cannot bring protection. No protection against robbers or wild animals. The disciples also were to take no bread, no money, no extra clothes, meaning you're supposed to travel very, very light. And you got to kind of read between the lines here, but Jesus is actually telling them, y'all are going to go hungry and homeless at times. Because remember, they're not bringing food. They're not bringing money. And Jesus just said, some of the cities you go into are going to reject you and you're going to have to leave. Meaning, they're not going to feed you. And you're going to be kicked out of the city. You're going to leave. They're not going to give you a bed. You're going to have to leave. And you don't have anything. You don't have any money. You don't have any food. You don't even have an extra tunic to keep you warm. So what Jesus is saying in this calling, this commission, is there are going to be times in your life where you're going to be hungry. You're going to be homeless. You're going to be cold. But the calling's worth it. This is a great calling. When he commissions the 72, he says, you're not even supposed to greet people on the way. And this doesn't mean, you know, you're supposed to be rude to people, you know, and not say hey or howdy or whatever. It means you're not distracted. He gave you a mission, and you're not going to get distracted. There's an urgency that Christians are to live their life. Now let me step back and just say I, I, I need to be careful here. Um, I've, I've heard this passage preached a number of ways that uh, 
extremes on both sides. You know, I've, I've heard preachers say, you know what, this is just to the disciples, doesn't apply to anybody. And I've heard other preachers really laid on thick with a guilt trip and saying, you do need to give all of your money, you know, all of your time. You need to be homeless and all this to reach the community. And uh, the truth is in the middle. Because there are times later in Luke that Jesus says things like, carry a purse, carry this. He, he, this is a very specific calling for this time. Yet we can take away from this that there are times when Jesus will give us a calling and it might be necessary. It very well might be necessary for us to give up our money, to give up our beds, to give up a lot of things for the gospel. Now, Jesus gives them all of these restrictions or these commands for a number of reasons. You know, we mentioned they're not allowed to have a staff because, well, he doesn't want them to have protection. He wants them to call out to the Lord for their protection, to depend on him for protection. They were not to carry a bag because he did not want them to be slowed down with possessions. Now, by nature, I think we're collectors by nature. We, we, we collect things. I, I know a woman She's not here, so I can say it. I know a woman who collects Santas. There are cowboy Santas, skiing Santas, disco Santas, Elvis Santas, Santas that dance, Santas that sing, Santas that say ho, ho, ho every time you enter the room and you want to get a shotgun and blow it across the room. Drive you insane. And they collect. They feel this need to collect. And Jesus is saying, don't waste your time collecting all of these things. They're just going to slow you down. Some of us are carrying these, these huge bags with us as we're trying to fill the Great Commission. These huge bags, and for some of us, just our home payments, or our car payments are so large because we're living so beyond our means that we have nothing left for the kingdom. We're trying to support this huge lifestyle here, here and we have nothing left. He says, don't be slowed down by possessions. Don't waste your time. And whether you realize it or not, you have been programmed. You went to school so you could get a job, so you could get money, so you could have things. You've been programmed this way. And Jesus, he's asking, but what are you going to do with this money? Are you going to use this money for the kingdom? Because the world is not impressed if you have a really big house and a really nice car and you drink, you know, $300 bottles of wine or something like that, they will not be impressed with God. They will be impressed with you. They will be impressed with your lifestyle, but they will not be caught up in his majesty. There is nothing to draw them in that direction. They will be in awe of you. And we must show the world where our treasure is. Who is our treasure? by how we spend our money, by what we collect and do. Now, the reason these disciples were not to carry bread or money or extra clothes was to teach them dependence. There would indeed be times where they would be homeless and hungry. And during this time, they would have to seek the Lord for his provision. Now, I want you to 
try, just try, and this is going to take some imagination, but try to put yourself in the shoes of these disciples, the sandals of these disciples. Jesus gives you a task. Go share the gospel to all these cities. And he's given you some, you know, general guidelines here. But it's a pretty big task for you to go. And so you're thinking, well, how do I get started? I mean, that would be the first thing I would really think of. Do, you know, do I just kind of walk into a town? Do I go to city center and get a bullhorn and just start preaching? Do a little mime show? You do something, you know, what, what is it to try to get people's attention and, and share the gospel? What do I do? How do I get started? I mean, I think this when I think of, you know, Woodlawn, or, you know, how do I get started in there? Or Birmingham, how do I get started? What do I do to share the gospel? They had the same questions. Well, they started by healing people. They would enter into a town, and likely they would see the person who was broken see the person who was down, the person who was sick or lame, and they would heal them. They would meet their needs and heal them. And word would spread, and then they would heal another, and then word would spread, and they would heal another, and before you know it, they had a platform for the gospel. They had just shown the gospel in action. Now they could share the gospel in word. We begin to understand why Jesus told them not to bring all of these things. Because to minister to the poor, at times, they would have to become poor. To minister to the homeless, at times, they would have to become homeless. You, you see this later. We'll probably get to it in about five years when we get to Acts. Um, in Acts chapter 3, you see two of the disciples, Peter and John, and they come across a lame beggar. And they say... We don't have any money, but we have this. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Where do you think they learned that? They learned it here when Jesus sent them out with no money. And he said, heal people, take care of their needs. Jesus wants to pound this in. And we see this clearly in the feeding of the 5,000. Now, now Luke, I love Luke. Luke gives the most boring accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 of all the gospel writers. Now, this is the one miracle that Jesus does that is in all, five, or all four gospels. That, you know, fifth hidden one. No, in, in all four gospels, this is the only miracle that's in all of them. And Luke just kind of gives the facts, and it's a really boring account. But he does it for a reason. He, he doesn't want you so much to focus on that story. He wants you to see this story in light of what preceded it and what comes after it. That's where he wants your attention to go. He wants you to see this story in light of the twelve returning. The, the twelve return from their mission, and they tell Jesus... All they have done, and Jesus says, okay, let's see what you've learned. Let's see what you've learned. There are 5,000 men over here, which, you know, is probably about 20,000 people. He said, 
Feed them. And I would have just loved to have seen the reaction. Luke spares us from showing who was the one who tried to answer first. But uh, they came up with a, you know, the solution. Well, Jesus, we, we've got some biscuits and some you know, little sardines. We could do that. Or unless you want us to go and try to buy food for everybody. And Jesus is thinking, you missed it. I just sent you on a training mission to learn how to minister without anything. And now you come back and I give you your first task and you fail. You missed it. I'm not asking for a practical solution. I'm not asking for a human solution. I asked you to do this because you didn't have any money. Because you didn't have any bread or any fish of great quantity. And Jesus says, sit them down. He blesses the food and he feeds them. He didn't want a human solution. They immediately went to money. They immediately became very practical in how they should minister to the world. And Jesus says, throw your practicality out the window. Let me teach you how to minister in faith. Makes me think, has the church forgotten how Jesus taught us to serve? I guess a a more appropriate question would be, have we forgotten the God that we serve? We still make disciples the same way. By faith, We preach the gospel and we meet people's needs. We go into the towns and we find those that are hurting, those who are desperate, and we meet their needs. And we share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Chapter 10, Jesus, he says that he is sending out the disciples like sheep among the wolves. Let's read this, chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And Jesus says that the, you know, the, the fields are ripe for harvest. And so we need to pray that God sends out workers into the harvest. And so usually a church tries to fulfill this by, you know, one week out of the year. We have our big missions conference week. You know, we'd have our big missions push. And we, we pray for our missionaries. And we take a few moments to pray and see if God wants us to go ourselves. And that's how we try to fulfill this verse. But I love what Jesus does. He says, See, there's, there's lost people out there. Pray that the Lord would send people to go reach those lost people. Now you go and reach those lost people. Put some feet to your prayers. Go. Go. And then he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now this is insanity. This is absolutely insanity here. Don't just glance over this verse I mean, have you ever looked into the eyes of a sheep? Have you ever? I mean, go, go to the Birmingham Zoo. There are, all the animals there are geriatric. Hardly any of them move. You could get really up close. Look in the eyes uh, of, of one of the sheep they have there. There is nothing behind those eyes. They're the dumbest animal there is. And at the zoo, you know, I feel comfortable actually getting little Georgia, my one-year-old, and putting her in the pen, 
what you're allowed to do with a lamb. And I don't have to worry about, you know, some wild rabid lamb coming and attacking her or, or eating her. She's perfectly safe because lambs don't do that. There's a reason you, you, you don't find wild sheep out there, you know, or you're traveling through the woods and you're like, hey, y'all be careful, look out for sheep. There, there's a reason hunters don't have them mounted up on their wall, stuffed, mounted. Look at the sheep I killed. He was like a hundred yards out and I got him. There's, there's no fear of sheep. All, all sheep are, are fluffy packets of meat for prey. That's it. And Jesus says, that's what you are. He doesn't say I'm sending you out as a hunter. A mighty hunter to go out there and to kill the prey. Because if you were that, then you would get the glory. He says, no, I'm sending you out sheep to be slaughtered. And the only prayer that you have to be saved, the only prayer you have to survive is if the good shepherd takes care of you. Otherwise, you will be absolutely destroyed. You will be devoured. It reminds me, I mean, this is right before the 72 are being sent out. I mean, can you imagine like a big game, basketball game, and the coach, like, here's this pep talk, he huddles you up. Guys, you don't stand a chance. Have you looked at that other team? They're huge. They're going to destroy you. I mean, if any of you have any hope of winning this game, go ahead and confess. Put it out right now because that needs to be put down, okay? We're going to lose this game. We're going to lose it badly. One, two, three, break, go. You know, very similar when Jesus says, I'm sending out a sheep among wolves. It's insane. He is saying your mission is dangerous. Very dangerous. He is saying that there will be no way to protect yourself. That unless you stay close to the shepherd, you will be devoured. Let me ask you. Is your calling and your mission dangerous? Is it? Do you even have a mission? Or are you just kind of floating through life? Jesus, he is saying here, disciples, you need to live your lives in such a way that I will most certainly get the glory when you go out. Because there's no other way to explain how you live. Take such risk for the kingdom that you are doomed to fail unless I intervene. We're not always, as Christians, to play it safe. We're not always supposed to be practical. There might be seasons of that. But there will also be seasons where we are supposed to take risk. Seasons where we are to go without money. Seasons where God might be calling us to be homeless. To give up food or clothing for the sake of the gospel. There's going to be seasons when God asks us to risk much for his kingdom. I love it when the 72 return from their mission. They report back to Jesus what they've done. Look at verse 17. 
says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemies and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, verse 21 says that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now, you will never find another verse like that in Scripture. This is the only time that Jesus ever does this. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Literally, he is so filled with the Spirit and filled with joy that there is an overflow of an emotion at that point of pure joy at when he sees his disciples return. He's bursting with it. And the reason he's bursting with it is because he sees a bunch of dumb sheep coming back saying, look at what I did. And he laughs. And he's filled with such incredible joy as they're relaying this. And he says, God, thank you. Man, what a plan that you would use such Idiots, that you would use such sheep, that you would use such children. That's fantastic, God. Because he knows that when we go out and we're dumb sheep and we trust him and the calling that he has given us, when we go out and we do that, he gets all the glory. All of it. When we return. And Jesus laughs. Says, wow, they get it. They, they got your gospel. They understand it. It's working in their hearts and lives. Bless you, Father. I meant what I said earlier that if we actually understood this, chapter 9 and 10, if we actually understood this and it were to work into our hearts, all of Birmingham would be changed. I really mean that. We have greater resources than these disciples do. You know, one of the things I think is the greatest resource we have is, is our homes. It's one of the philosophies of our church is to constantly be opening up our homes to our community and inviting people in. We need to use those resources. We have transportation. We have money. We have clothes. We have all these things that could be used for the kingdom, when we loosen our grip on them. And if God gives us clarity, if he gives us purpose, and he gives us an urgency, then watch out. Pray with me. Lord, we cannot work up urgency or clarity of purpose or passion. Now, we we could try really hard and come up with some kind of emotionalism, maybe work ourselves into a frenzy like that, but not 
not anything that will last. God, that's a work of your spirit through your word. So we ask that you would take the words that are spoken that are from you and through the power of your spirit, you would break and open our hearts, break and open our minds, and that you would transform us into a people who live a sent life, a missional life, not people who just sit around wasting time. Give us a clarity of purpose. Give us an urgency that we lack. This is a serious and a joyful task. Make it our prayer. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.